We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 177 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, how are you today? Uh, well, healthy and alive, doing well, staying cool, and uh, a bit roasty out here, roasty toasty. We're close to 100 degrees Fahrenheit for the last like two weeks. So mm -hmm. uh -huh. that's because the era of global boiling is here. Uh, I mean, that's what they tell us. But, you know, I remember back when I was a kid living in similar locations uh, on a farm. And uh, as a matter of fact, we had one of the old thermostats that were analog ones you know that had like the coil on the inside and everything yeah it, it read 110 degrees in the shade um and that was god that was at least 20 years ago so yeah mm -hmm. been mm -hmm. pretty much the same every year since then relatively within you know norms this year it's actually been pretty wet and pretty calm cool comparatively so mm -hmm. yeah we're right where we should be in terms of temperature i was discussing this a little bit yesterday towards the end but i see no no problems other than the fact that i've had to wear a coat a few days this week and it's snowing a couple hours south of me other than that we've always made the jokes about christmas in july right mm -hmm. and i okay put a tree up what do you want me to say on to the events of the day and i to be honest with you i don't care i really don't care i don't care about uh, joe biden I don't care about the election. I was telling you about this in prep. I said, I already don't care about the election. Do you care about the election? We're 15 mm -hmm. months. Melissa pointed out yesterday, we're 15 months away from this. This is all we're going to hear about now. Sorry. Yep. My notifications were on. Uh, let me turn those off. There we uh, go. You know, I have not even paid any attention to uh, politics, more or less, this, the election, whatever. I've v just really... <laughs> vaguely been paying attention to the whole Trump debacle and everything. I look at it maybe once a week and just kind of like, okay, is there any news on this? No, they're just more hysteria and more like, oh, they're going to whatever indictment or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, it like we said before, when we first talked about this, this is unprecedented in the sense of going after a, a previous president like this. It's unprecedented, uh, especially for freedom of speech things past that. I, I don't care. They're, they're, I, I just don't care. They're, they're, we have other fish to fry. We do. And I, I just, I, I'm tired of the, um, I'm tired of the distractions, to be fair. I've had a crazy week, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm irritated. If I, is that the right word? Irritated? I'm irritated because I want to make headway, right? You want to make headway. The people that listen to us, they want to make headway. We want to see results, right? We want to see problems addressed. We want to see concerns that are being dealt with. And we want to see these things start to take shape and, and we want to move forward. Then I see the turning point people and I realize we are a long way away from addressing any problems. I'm not going to go on some turning point rant because I just don't have it in me because I don't care. This concept that we're all getting together and we're having a circus performance to celebrate Donald Trump is nauseating and I cannot stand it. What confuses me even more are the people that were the so-called outsiders, air quote, outsiders on the last election cycle that are now jumping on board the turning point gravy train. I'm seeing them speak at these events now. Oh, I do follow what they say. 
I do follow what they promote and, and everything else. And I don't see any of them actually addressing any of the problems, with the exception of occasionally they might call out and say, you know what? We need to do something in in terms of our uh, of our foreign policy because it's really hurting our national security. Okay, that's not an argument. I'm not I'm not going to argue with that because that is something that needs to be addressed. But they never tell you what that is. They just say, "Vote for me. Donate to Turning Point. Buy Turning Point tickets and listen to these podcasts." I don't understand the following. Is it is it the fact that and you know it's kind of alluding to to what Melissa talked about yesterday. She said that. What was it? She said the the phrase that people like to follow in their mind is "I'm okay, Jack." As in, I've got my cold beer, I've got my sports, I've got my uh, my my games or, or whatever it is that I'm doing, and I'm okay. I don't need to to worry about anything else. Is it that? Is it the convenience? Because I, I I'm tending to believe that that's what it is. Is that's the convenience? Look at all these people up there. They're doing something, so I don't have to. But if I buy a ticket to that event and I go and I sit there and I I say rah rah and I show my little sign or whatever it is that I'm doing then I'm taking part and I'm cheering in the in the camera behind the uh, uh the talking bobbleheads up there with microphones. I can only assume that that's what it is. Is people believe they're actually making an impact, they're making a difference by joining that group. That's all I can I can surmise. Or they're I agree. Uh, another another perspective could be that they're just addicted to losing. They like the fact that they don't really have to do anything. They're they're comfortable. Perhaps they don't think they can make changes at all. You know, they don't think they can affect anything, and so they're just addicted to constantly voting and losing. And then that the the, the rage that then follows that, or the hysteria and all of that, they're just kind of addicted to the um, uh, the the game. Addicted to losing. That's interesting because you hear the opposite messages. Obviously, you don't want to promote a negative message if you're doing any kind of political advertising. You want everything to be positive. But I don't see any people. I mean, if we're going to be serious about taking back the reins of power in our country, in in America, and believe me, the rest of the world is waiting for us to do that, if you hadn't noticed. But if we're serious about this, if we're going to be serious about this, then we need people up there that are serious about it. And I don't see anybody up there that's serious about it. I see laser light shows, and I see confetti, and I see news cameras, and I see a whole lot of makeup. That's what I see. And I hear a lot of nice talk, shouting down a whole bunch of people that don't matter. That's what I see. That's what I hear. I'm appalled by that. You know, I, I'm not I'm not going to hold it against everybody that, that goes to these events, but we should know better by now than to be fooled by these conservative con artists. Is that what I'm trying to say here? I, I turned on one of these uh, Turning Point sponsored, how do I put it? Uh, events. I'll just say that. I had to turn it off after five minutes. It was an hour long presentation. I had to turn it off after five minutes because I just couldn't stomach it. Who are they appealing to? Who are they trying to appeal to? Maybe I'm missing something. Is there is there like a demographic or two in here that I'm missing somewhere? Because I feel like this is a high school pep rally that I'm watching between the uh, the the cool kids in study hall or something. That's what I feel like I'm watching. These are supposedly grown ass men, and that's what I feel like I'm watching. Uh, that's that's exactly what I mean by uh, addicted to losing. So I'll I'll elaborate a little bit with that. The addiction to losing is not being willing to step out and take a risk, not willing to go out and run for election yourself or uh, speak out on your own and and talk about things that are, I don't know, as an example, uh, speaking to school boards or speaking to politicians or what have you to try to hold their feet to the fire, to try to, you know, I've got a job and I've got a family to look after. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't I don't want to speak out against these ESG uh, systems. I don't want to speak out against the transgender movement that's coming after my kids. I don't want to, you know, it's not really affecting me here at home. So I'm just, I'm not going to speak out against it. You know, these, these talking heads up there on the stages, uh, the people that we vote for and whatnot, they're the ones that are saying they're going to do something. So I'll just throw some money at them or I'll vote in secret to the, you know, for them. And nothing ever really changes. Nothing really ever happens because Republicans play a very good game of, um, well, we just couldn't get that bill through. We just couldn't get things done when we have the entire uh, House and Senate under our control and the White House. We just couldn't get that thing done that we said we were going to do. 
So it's those darn Democrats. They're, they're just in the way. So if you send some money my way for, for my reelection campaign or my new book or whatever, uh, buy tickets to the next rally that I'm going to or whatever. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll get this fixed. That's, I think, is what what's going on is people are just comfortable and they don't want to they don't want to take responsibility themselves. You sound like a PR spokesman for Lindsey Graham's campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I was uh, going for there. Almost word for word. I, and I don't know if you knew this or not. Almost word for word. That's exactly what he said about the Obamacare thing. If you recall, he said when they had the executive, they had both houses of Congress they held all but nine legislative seats at the state level across the country. The most power that the Republican Party or GOP, whatever, had in over 100 years. And they said, no, nah, we just we can't get it done. We just can't get we it just done. Can't get it done. The, the, that's, that's exactly what I was referencing was Obamacare. That was the biggest kick in the teeth to the Tea Party, to conservatives, to just the average American that didn't want their health insurance to go sky high and were really about actual reforms and trying to bring the costs down. Yeah, no, they, they, they screwed us over. You know, what's even funnier about that is I talked to people that were Obama voters, diehard Obama voters, first term and second term. When they lost their insurance, and when I say lost, I mean, it was literally taken away from them, their health insurance. They had decent insurance. It wasn't the best, but they had decent insurance. It was affordable, no, but it was but taken. Keep your doctor. Yeah, right. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Just that doctor is going to go bankrupt. They didn't tell you that part. But this person had decent insurance and it was affordable to them. Then all of a sudden the insurance wasn't available and they were forced to go to one of those exchanges that everybody had to go to to sign up. And their insurance went from... I think it was like $65 a month at the time for 80-20 coverage, which is in America, that's a steal for health insurance. That is a steal with no deductible. That's that's almost, that's unheard of these days. It went from that to, I think, $700 a month is what it went to. And then this person comes to me and is explaining all of this to me. And I'm trying my best not to laugh in their face because that's really, that's that's sad. I said to this person, I said, what do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell you that I told you so? Because I can. I mean, I'm not going to because you just won't listen. And they said, well, I didn't want to lose my health care. I didn't want to I didn't want to have this large health care bill every month for insurance. He said, I just wanted people to get insurance that didn't have it. And I just kind of I, I looked. Now, this is a person. This is a person with a, a, a this is a person with a doctor in their title, their legal name. I think we have a bigger problem. <laughs> it's it's almost like people don't understand economics and understanding that you're, you're taking uh, the portion of of the people that don't have medical insurance, uh, can't afford it themselves or uh, had very basic and then bring them on to this policy. It, it's almost like you don't understand that somehow you got to pay for it somewhere. That money is going to come in. You're, you're expecting the government who is inefficient at everything to provide you with good Healthcare coverage, uh, it just it completely baffles me. And, and, and in fact, that bill should have been thrown out from the very get-go because uh, one of the things it had in there, which is wholly unconstitutional, and because of the whole Supreme Court, and they, they the Supreme Court did us dirty too, because they said, basically, if you change these few things in here, we'll pass, we'll say it's it's constitutional. No, uh, I'm sorry. If there's one part of the bill in there that is wrong, that is unconstitutional, the Supreme Court just says this bill is unconstitutional and sends it back. That's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, they didn't do that. Anyway, the, the part of the bill that really pissed me off is for the people that can't afford uh, health insurance, you're required to pay a fee and the fee increases every year. And then after 10 years, I think it was, you're at risk of jail time. And the fee goes up to like $6,000 or $10,000 or something insane for not having medical insurance. The government forcing you to, to pay for a service or a product, Wirebrush, that, that, that is my response to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll do you uh, another one on this, uh, this person that I was having this conversation with about this, uh, this healthcare thing. You said, do people not understand economics? This person, I forgot to mention, this person has a PhD in international economics. Well, uh, I guess... It's not really saying much nowadays, knowing how 
uh, they they indoctrinate people with Marxism. So they they That's don't actually an the, interesting the, point. The, yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, Bill Maher. I didn't talk about this yesterday. Bill Maher and Sharon Osbourne. I'm sure well, even without knowing, you know who that is. Wife yeah. of Ozzy Osbourne, the the yeah. rock singer. She was on his podcast. You know they they do the little like living room talk kind of thing. And they both agreed. Now, now again, this is Bill Maher. Bill Maher, the guy that is, he's hes a left winger, mm-hmm. but we've been Overton windowed so far over the last five years that the guy's actually talking like a conservative and he's yeah. still a left winger. That's creepy. He's a progressive. That, yeah. yeah, that is creepy. I have not agreed with Bill Maher on like 99% of the things that he said throughout my political uh, awareness. But now... He's actually saying on his podcast, and he's not wrong when he says it. He says, you know what? These universities are just churning out Marxists. It's a Marxist uh, production factory is what it's turned into. And he's not wrong. He is not Mm. wrong. No, but the problem is, is the reason those Marxists are being churned out like that is because of people like him. That's what I don't think he understands. That is a, yeah, that is a, a valid point you make there. When I started to see that he was changing his tune a little bit. You know, when I started to see that he was starting to say, wait a minute, um, this has gone too far. Well, Mr. Marr, you've kind of enabled them up to this point. You know, you've been a big influencer on the political left in America for a long time. And he has carried quite a big following in the U.S. for a long time with his, his show on HBO. And he's influenced politics to this point. The point being is, is you cannot give these people an inch because now they've taken 100 miles and they've gone. I, I mean, this is going to go to a, a place that nobody's even going to recognize from where we are now in a couple of years. We don't recognize where it is now from two years ago. The people that were originally involved, case in point, in the BLM stuff, it's gone insane. Involved in the original LGBT movement, it's gone insane. You know, from its original following, it's gone crazy. You've got all these people that are now on the out group because they're not revolutionary enough. That's what it's turned into. is, And that's what it always is when you have Marxist dialectics embedded into some type of a group movement. It's the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing. If you look at societies that employ these types of repression, so uh, Russia, China, North Korea, uh, Iran, these places, these are not actually full-blown totalitarian states. They are totalitarian, but they don't have full control. And I mean full control. If they had full control, then things would be vastly different in those countries than what they are now, as bad as they are now in a lot of respects. But it would be worse. The reason they don't do that now is because they still have to deal with the outside world. The systems themselves are not self-contained. They still have images that they need to try and portray to people. But the bigger concern becomes they want to do this across the whole world. The digital currencies, the digital wallets and all that stuff. And we'll, you know, we're talking about that on, on the next Tech Tuesday. But when you have this all-encompassing totalitarian superstate that forms, then the killing gets even worse. The genocide gets even worse because of what we're talking about. It's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's that group has to go. That group has to go. Where'd this group come from? Oh, they can join us. And then three months later, oh, that group has to go until it's it's a progressive cleansing and you end up with millions dead. It's a self-destructive ideology through and through. Though on the bright side, I've seen polling here lately that shows that about the high school age, And those that are just kind of entering college, um, they're more conservative than their parents. That's good news. That's good news. That's some some good news there. So maybe the coming generations, maybe this is our, maybe this is the, we're kind of at the apex and we're going to start seeing a a downward trend back to, I say downward trend, where we're going to go back towards uh, the right. What What we have to be sure doesn't happen is... We swing so far over to the right that we then start doing things as an example. You know how the left has been accusing uh, like Florida of doing the don't say gay bill. Everybody thinks, oh, you, you they can't talk about gay in school and all of that when it's not the case at all. But if we allow the pendulum to swing to the right without control, you will end up with bills like that potentially. And I don't want it to go either too far either direction. It needs to stay more in the middle. I mean, this is our our foundation is more libertarian. So uh, or, you know, kind of more in that vein, constitutional libertarian. That's kind of what the founders were. 
um, classic liberal, whatever you want to call it. But basically, you need to allow people the freedom to to make their own decisions and get government the hell out of the way. Uh, but at the same time, we need to have something in place to keep Marxism from ever showing its ugly head again. And that goes for the right and the left, as you say, because uh, the totalitarian right wing movements throughout history, all based in the same ideology. The main difference, and this is what this is like the misconception, because you always have to have a blood enemy if you're one extreme or the other. And that's just not the case in reality. When you apply reality, objective reality to it, the difference becomes between communism and fascism. The difference is in presentation and implementation. That's it. The end result is the same. There's not any difference. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're just arguing different, slightly different points. One's arguing class, you know, economy standpoint, and the other one's arguing race or something, you know, something on, in that. Nationalism. Vein. Yeah. Nationalism. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of weird now. We, we have both. We have all the above with, with the current rendition. So it's kind of like this is like Marxism 2.0 and they're they're using mm -hmm. they're pulling from both fascism, fascism and communism at the same time. You know, I, I think in regards to our businesses, you know, this is another aspect that we have a problem with. We were discussing this in prep a little bit as well. And that is, I want a system of, of free market capitalism, but we've worked ourselves into this problem because we haven't had a system of free market capitalism the way, it's, the way that it's intended. We have to be careful about using blanket things. When I say blanket terms, I mean if we just throw out the word capitalism, well, what does that mean? The world's never seen real capitalism. We've never actually achieved it. When people throw out the word democracy, what in the world does that mean? We've never actually had true democracy. The closest thing you can equate to it would be, I think, Switzerland. I think that's the closest thing you can equate to that. Those people vote on everything, absolutely everything. That's the closest that you could possibly get to it. But we need to be able to have the system of a free market economy, but it has to be with checks and balances and responsibilities. And we don't have that. We haven't had that. And in prep, we were we were discussing what one of the big problems that you know I, I think is, and the big problem that I see, and I've heard other experts talk on this from time to time as well, is we have allowed, as you were saying about uh, the government with healthcare, we've allowed the government to get into business. They don't belong in business. That has been our biggest fallacy. I think we were screwed at that point anyway when we allowed that to happen. If we go back to the Roman Empire, right, the Roman Senate, Roman senators were not allowed to engage in commerce at all. They weren't allowed to be in business. And if they were in business, they couldn't be in the Senate. Now, if you're in the Senate and you're not in business in the U.S., then you're not allowed to be in the Senate. These people write laws to exempt themselves from insider trading to make more money in those businesses. They know what's going to happen in the market before they announce it to everybody else. They dump or buy stocks and they make millions of dollars. This has to stop. I don't know if if going back to a sense of, as I was explaining, I don't know if going back to a sense of um, an aristocracy or, or a form of it would be a way to, to do that because that's kind of what we had before. You had a business and, and ownership class that had a sense of responsibility to people, whereas now you have governments that have essentially, they think they know better and they cut everybody else out and everybody gets screwed. So we need to have these, these systems. We need to have democratic forms. And I say forms because we can't just say a democracy. I, I do want our constitutional republic back as it was originally intended. That's what I want. We don't need new constitutions. We don't need new laws. We don't need to overthrow this or overthrow that and replace it with this. Replace No, no. All we have to do is do what we did before because what we did before actually worked, but we have broken what we did before because we have corruption and irresponsibility in there. That part has to go. So if we're going to take these systems, obviously we're going to have to take little pieces of this and little pieces of that and kind of jumble it all together because in, in the real world, that's what you do to make something work. And if I'm not mistaken, it does say in our Declaration of Independence, correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce, but in order to form a more perfect union, that doesn't mean that you have something that is perfect. That means you strive to be the best at what you're doing. You try to create a perfect union. You don't necessarily ever achieve one, but you try. And that includes failures along that way of trying. Yeah, the uh, the declaration is our goal, if you will, a more perfect union and then life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That That's kind of our 
it's the pursuit statement. It's the pursuit. You just said yes. it. It's it's the pursuit of happiness. You may yep. never achieve it, but you pursue it. You try your best at trying mm-hmm. to make it work. Yep. And the the thing is, is I, I I feel like when it comes to business, we we've kind of we've lost the perspective that is the declaration. The the perspective being the more perfect, right? First of all, that we're striving for that perfection. This is the greatest, this is the best form of government, not to have the American arrogance, but every other government out there now is trying to mimic at least parts of our system. So whether if, if, um, uh, if, if copying this, us, you know, like this is, is, uh, you know, I, I see it as a form of flattery. I guess I, I, I put it that way. But the problem is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've lost the importance of life. Um, abortion is a great example of that. Um, life is less meaningful. The, the other examples we have is um, you are now a number uh, as far as the government, government can, is concerned. You are not an actual person or an individual. You are a cash cow. You are a number. You, you look at businesses, you're just a cash cow. Small businesses still realize that you're a person and still will work with you and whatnot and, and are... You can get some great, great people there. But when you get into the bigger sectors, you're just a number. You're a statistic. They don't care. So they've lost the importance of life. And then the idea of liberty, uh, we've talked about it here lately with ESGs. Um, They're trying to push on us this new world order that they're basically one of the rulers of. We have to get back to those basic foundations, basic morals. Even the founders said that this system that we've created will not function without a just and moral society. Yeah, that that that's long gone right now. That has been for a good, I don't know, 80 years or so. The fact that you can have the elite or or people viewed as the elite committing crimes, you know, self-enrichment, using their position for power, uh, access, those kind of things, felonies with drugs, weapons, the fact that they can do that, get people killed or kill people and nothing happens. But then if the average person does any of those things, they go to jail. That right there, I've said it before, is an example of tyranny. Um, you're in a tyranny. That is not justice. Uh, and the moral standpoint of things, again, I referenced abortion, but let's uh, expand it a little bit. Summer of love. Do you think that was moral or just? This this uh, new trend that we have going on where we have to punish the white people for being uh, they, because they have a, a virus that is, um, um, they're racist. You see, is that just, is that moral? Um, I, I thought we were supposed to have this system in society of, uh, basically a meritocracy, you know, it's based on your merit, not based on your skin tone or any of those kind of things or where you originated from or anything. Yeah. We're, we're, we're losing those, those foundation points. The average American, I think still adheres to that. The problem is, is it's the uppities that don't you know the ones that run businesses the the politicians those so we need a we do need a purge a cleaning uh uh, but it needs to be of the the governments and the businesses and we have to get back to that just and moral society would you say speaking on the just and moral society right infiltrating the churches right i'm assuming that's going to be wrapped up in all this of course it has to be in a path and getting back to a just and moral society we first have to acknowledge that evil has crept in corruption has crept in and that has to go yeah and honestly to be fair i'm i'm not even necessarily saying people have to be like you know the good christian people anymore that was what the founders intended they actually said that in in many of their letters and whatnot a good christian is a good citizen I mean, it goes hand in hand, but the, the basic morals that Christianity teaches, if, if society follows those basic morals that, uh, I don't know, the same morals that all of our laws are, are founded upon, I, I think that would, uh, that would be a great step forward. I'd like to play a clip here of a warning from the year 1965. This is from a radio host named Paul Harvey. This is a very popular clip. This has been around for a while, obviously, since 1965, but... See if you, for those of you who have not heard it, see if you can figure out whether or not he was correct. Again, this is from 1965, and compare that to where we are now. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, 
If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. It hasn't changed much from uh, as, as in what the goals are and what they've been doing since I'd say that that's pretty era. accurate. That's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. I nailed it. Uh, you know, a few things that were slightly different, you know, judges uh, promoting pornography. It's not exactly what's happening now. Now it's it's going down to even lower levels uh, to where teachers and, you know, uh, are, are promoting it now. So so what you're yeah, saying is it's, it, it's, it's actually worse <laughs> than what he was saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've we've prog- progressed. If you were to show America today to people back then, they would not believe you. I don't think you could even show somebody from 20 years ago, if you told them 20 years ago, and we were here 20 years ago, if you showed them where we would be now 20 years ago, nobody would have believed it. No, no. In fact, 20 years ago, God, even even further back, um, even if you took it back to the 90s, back when you started having kind of the inner cities crack, you know, all that kind of, it was kind of some, you know, problems that were popping up and everything, and you were to show them what today was going to be like. No, they would still think you were crazy, even even with some of the, the problems that were uh, popping up back then. But even 20 years ago, we've we seen kind of we kind of seen some of the inklings of it, kind of the the starting because uh, I, I remember the war in Iraq and how they kept pushing and pushing in the media that we're not against Muslim people. We're against the, the jihadists. We're against the extremists, you know, and, and trying to continually condition us that, uh, you know, Muslims are fine, but it's, it's Islam that's the problem. And they kept trying to do this, you know, really heavy distinction when everybody in the average world, like average American, we, we understood that already. We didn't need you mommying us all the time with that. But the way they were tiptoeing 
I I remember seeing that going. This is this is a problem. This is something that's going to be used in the future somehow. I didn't understand how or any of that. I mean, I was I was still somewhat young and too rebellious to really pay much attention to it. I remember at the time on that point. I remember at the time everybody was so consumed. You know, this is we're talking the the anguish and the anger of the American people on average after 9-11. For those that were outside of the US, I'm not quite sure that I can explain that in terms that you'll understand. But everybody was very angry. Everybody was blinded by, I guess, a sense of, of retribution, if you will. Everybody wanted us to respond and to deal with the problem. So we threw our common sense to the wind. And we said to the government, okay, just do whatever you want to do, but just rectify this, fix this. And we did things that we should not have done. And I remember at the time, on your point, when they started making these distinctions and everybody was, the agenda in the media, and when I say everybody, everybody in the, in the media was doing this walking on eggshells kind of thing, right? This, as you said, they were like tiptoeing around stuff. I remember telling people at the time, and I was, uh, I was a kid, right? I mean, I was like 18, 19 years old, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I remember telling people, do you not understand that whatever's being done now because we created the Department of Homeland Security because of this. We have that useless organization because of this. They have not caught a single terrorist in their entire existence. All that nonsense you have to go through when you get to a U.S. airport is because of that. And a train station or a bus or whatever in the hell, right? Sports events, the rest of it. They've not caught a single person. But I remember telling people at the time, I said, do you not understand that this can be turned around on we the people in an instant. Do you not understand that? You could not explain that to anybody. Nobody would hear that. Nobody. The second that you would even mention anything like that, I remember being met with like violent responses from people saying, do you hate America? You unpatriotic? What's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. Where are we now? Anybody want to listen now? Yeah. Back then, uh, I uh, didn't know the full extent of what the Patriot Act did. Uh, when it was being pushed through during that time, I believe uh, I was in like middle school, high school age, somewhere in there. So I was really more concerned about schooling and the social structure that is school, that whole hierarchy system that was what you're supposed pain. to be concerned about. Yeah, you're supposed to be concerned yeah, should, about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, that's true. But when when you get into high school, you should start. You need to have some education. That's something I wish school actually did. A little bit more of when you started getting into like, yeah, when you started getting into things like civics or like American history or, you know, those kind of things, explain how the system works and tell, you know, like take the actual thing that's going on in the moment and explain it to us, you know, just just break it down. Let you know so that we have a basic understanding and can vote properly or, or know where to look or how to look or, you know, that's stuff that I had to learn outside of school on my own. But yeah, I didn't pay attention to any of that. What was going on? Like I said, I was too rebellious and too, uh, I, I was rebellious in my own ways back then. Still am to a degree, obviously. But if I had known, I would have been a lot more vocal back then uh, amongst the family and everything and, and stood against it. Because uh, my family, military, we were all kind of, still kind of are, uh, the we're America, bitch. Excuse the French, but you know. Uh, th th that kind of mentality, that's kind of what the family had back then. And that's kind of why we were angry when somebody attacked us on the home front, because that was still a mentality of, of many Americans, especially here in the middle of the country. Very proud of our country. And uh, when, it, when the attacks happened, obviously, uh, that was uh, pretty angering. And for many years after that, I mean, even the, you know, doing the anniversaries and stuff of that, it still was quite angering. And it's even more infuriating now, not uh, the ire is not directed like it was back in the day, you know, towards the Middle East and terrorists. Now the ire is now focusing more on government and those that were in, in power, you know, our intelligence agencies and all of that. They knew all of this before it happened. They had all the warnings. They had information about this and chose to overlook it. And I want to know why. Why did you overlook this? We have countless accounts of things like the, the Las Vegas shooter, which we still don't know the motive of that one. There's been other school shooters that have been on the FBI's watch list. They've they've been. And then a year before the shooting happens, 
or six months before, they just take them off the watch list, completely remove them. And people around are, are like talking to law enforcement or what have you. And like, this is still a problem, but no, no, it's hidden. Why? So yeah, my ire now is against the government uh, and its people. You know, these things that we're, we look into from time to time, you know, on your, your point there about them knowing, they've known. They've known since I, I've got documentation that's written into the congressional record. This is not a secret. This is information that's publicly available. It was made publicly available because the people at the policymaking level were doing absolutely nothing about it. So they, the people that put all these, these reports together and presented them said that this has to be made public so we can put it to the court of public opinion so the people can deal with this problem. So the people will know when something goes wrong, this is what is responsible for it. I've got congressional documents and reports going back to the mid-50s and the early 60s and into the 70s about what all of this is, and not just in America. You can tie in the UK. You can tie in what was West Germany. You can tie in the Middle East. You can tie in Central and South America, parts of Africa, and then you can tie that into who actually funded it. I think that's as good a place as any to leave that part of the conversation. We can come back to that another day. So now we have a problem with, as you say, this being turned back on the American people. I tend to believe, and I don't know for sure, but I tend to believe that the Proud Boys movement across the U.S., I tend to believe that that was a real movement to an extent. That's not saying a whole lot about the uh, uh, the leader of it. I'm not talking about Gavin McGinnis. He was the founder of it. But this uh, this Tario guy, I think uh, I think they had enough on him as in the FBI. They had enough on him. They were hanging some things over his head and he was trying to sing and dance to their tune, if you will, and appease them. And you cannot appease these people. And you notice that all all those guys are now in jail because of the January 6th thing. Now we have this Patriot Front movement that's cropped up, and they pretty much say all the right things to anybody that's disgruntled on the right. At least they appear to. The problem I have with this is you notice nobody ever gets arrested, or I, I, I shouldn't really say arrested because they'll do some staging arrests or whatever, but none of them ever seem to be, I don't know, indicted, thrown in jail, unmasked by the arresting officers. I mean, if I'm an arresting officer and I have somebody who has a mask on their face to balaclava or whatever, the first thing I'm going to do as a security precaution, I'm taking that mask off because I need to know who I'm dealing with. Not only that, isn't it kind of like if you're checking their ID, don't you kind of have to you take have the to mask off to make sure the ID yeah. matches who they are? Yes. Instead, no, that never happens. You know, when you start to see the telltale signs of a staged movement, as in they're trying to get legitimate people. This is the whole point of a stage movement. They want to get legitimate people mixed in with it. Otherwise, if you don't do that, well, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So you want to get decent, disgruntled people tied up into it so you can then turn around and discredit and target whoever you need to. And that's what they've done with this Patriot Front movement. Those guys, if you look at some of these guys, that there was, there was a bunch of them. We saw some video, what, about a month ago or three, four weeks ago. A bunch of these guys went up to a Proud Boys rally. They showed up with a bunch of Nazi flags and the Proud Boys circled on them and started wailing on them and they ripped their masks off. Well, come to find out, who are these guys? These are federal agents, at least three of them. Again, I'm asking, why is no one in, the, uh, the, in any of these, um, these stage performances that we have why does nobody call this out? These uh, these turning point events. Why, do, why does nobody call that out? Why does nobody say that? Why why is it that nobody on Capitol Hill, who's supposed to be over the FBI, giving oversight to the Department of Justice? You hear Ted Cruz and and Holly and Josh Holly and these guys. They're in there grilling. And I hate to use one of these ridiculous terms they get for clickbait, but they're in there grilling A.G. Garland, who's the head of the DOJ, who's over the FBI, the Attorney General of the U.S. And they never mention that. They never mention, hey, uh, what about all those guys from the uh, the Patriot Front that were involved in January 6th? How many of those have been indicted? How many of them have been put on FBI watch lists? Well, yeah, I guess you can't do that because you'd be putting your own agents on your own watch list. So we have these movements that crop up, and I would caution people about getting involved in any kind of these movements. And you know what? That goes for Turning Point as well, getting involved in that nonsense. There's just something about these large political movements that I do not like. I do not like at all. Now, I understand. I, I think a lot of this this turning point stuff, I think a lot of this is coming from Trump, to be fair. I think he's he's kind of not the only but one of the main drivers behind it, because let's be honest, Trump's an entertainer at the end of the day, and he likes the entertainment value. 
I think that's where a lot of that, at least a lot of the money, not all the money, but I think that's where a lot of the money's coming from is they're running it through that. But on the other side of that, you know, you've got the, the Patriot front. The reason I bring and I tie Trump and the turning point stuff into it is because you have the Patriot front that are now running around all over their social media pages, which oddly enough, they're allowed to have with free reign, I might add. They have America first messages all over their their stuff now. All the, the graffiti and the bumper stickers and everything else that they put up everywhere and the pamphlets and the, the literature they pass out, that's all America first. So you see, they're trying to tie the two together. You see the connection I'm trying to make here? You present a common message. It's very simple. It's down to the basis of things. And you target the lowest common denominator and you continue to drive that message home. That's how you get people to believe it. That's the, the technique that they used in the rise of the Third Reich. That's how they targeted people. That's how they got people on board with it. They appeal to the lowest common denominator in society and they ratchet it up from there. When you have one of these totalitarian movements, I'm not saying that the turning point people are totalitarian because I, I think they're a bunch of buffoons. It's just one man's opinion. But what I'm saying is, is that a totalitarian controlled movement can emerge from it. And it has the potential and the danger because of the anger and the backlash that is to possibly ensue from failed policy over many years. As you said, Bruce, that pendulum is now going to swing back. Marty's made that point before. It's now time for that pendulum to swing back. But we cannot let that thing go all the way over to the other extreme. We got to somehow grab a hold of that damn thing and anchor it down to the center and weld it in place. It's got to be that way. If we don't stop that, then you run the risk in any society, not just America, but in any society, you run the risk of the totalitarian movement gaining control. And when that gains control, it becomes an orthodoxy. It demands obedience and they will have it. It uh, kind of reminds me of some of the analogies or some of the research that I've I've read about and heard about, about the um, me, we or me, I uh, generations. And when you look at the ones that are we generations, um, you get people like Woodrow Wilson, uh, Stalin, Hitler. Those all came out of the we generation. They're going for that community or, or communist mind, right? And then you get into the I or me, and it does result in more people like Donald Trump or you know, people that are more centered on making as much money as they can, but they're more focused on themselves. That generation tends to be the freest, tends to be the, I'm going to use the word again, most benign of the generations when it comes out, right? We have some of the greatest moments in history. We're, we're kind of in a transition point going from the we generation into the I generation, which might explain why some of the younger generation is going more conservative, uh, because conservatives are typically more I-minded. They still care about we because that's the right thing to do, but they're more I in the sense of you want government out of the way, uh, don't mess with me, you know, stay off my property, you know, kind of that uh, mindset. I'm Honestly, I, I don't even know where to go with Turning Point. Turning Point is kind of one of those things that I think I think you're right. Trump does have some kind of a play in that. But it might just be the fact that some people in the conservative community might have found their cojones to stand up and create their own grift as possible because they, they realize that Trump is um, has his own um, populist movement. Uh, it, it, one of the concerns that I, I've heard some of the talking heads talk about with Trump is that he, he is a if you look at him, uh, your reference that you were using to like the Nazi party. If you look at Trump uh, and his, his rallies, he was talking about a whole bunch of different things like he would do like a scattershot and whatever people grabbed onto or whatever the crowd kind of cheered more for. That's the thing that he then grappled onto and pushed that agenda more. Uh, and one of the examples that you could use was the the border wall. That was just kind of like a throwaway comment that he made originally. But then it got so much traction that he just grappled onto it and, and continued talking about it. And that became a big issue. There was no real foundation there or no reasoning behind his statement on that other than it's kind of a populist thing. The concern is, according to the talking heads, is that you'll have a Trump and then you'll have someone bad after him, like a... Uh, you know, Biden, as an example, or another Obama. And then the next guy that comes in could potentially be a Hitler or someone that is on those, uh, you know, kind of in that vein. 
uh, maybe our version of it. Uh, maybe maybe it'll be a, a a more benign version of it, and we don't go off and kill them. Well, actually, we did kill a bunch of people. You could you could I guess technically you could argue unintentionally Trump was a Hitler. I I, I don't mean to. I know people are going to be upset because of the Holocaust and everything, and and comparing. But we've had millions of people die around the world because of warp vaccines. speed. Yeah, vaccines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see your point there. So uh, that was unintentional on his part. He was really, I think he legitimately thought he was doing good, but yeah, he was being exploited and used. Yeah, the fallout is kind of, we're looking at the numbers now, the fallout's kind of undeniable. Um, But anyway, well, Bruce, we can go ahead and call this one done. You got anything else? No. Oh, oh, yes. A reminder, this uh, month, I believe it is, uh, let me get the right date. I think it's the 14th, the morning of the 15th, the night of the 14th. If I'm remembering right, there is the annual, uh, let me see, it's it's one of the meteor showers. Uh, but anyway, it's coming up on the 14th, I believe. Uh, anyway, I, I might have my dates wrong. Just look it up for yourself. It, it, it is out there. If you're interested in seeing it, um, it's recommended that you find a dark location somewhere outside of town if you can find a place to go or maybe have a camping trip before school starts or something like that. Um, there's supposed to be a hundred meteors, um, a minute, I believe, or an hour, maybe it's an hour, a hundred an hour, a hundred a minute would be a lot. And also a few more supermoons. Um, I like astronomy, so I'm, I'm kind of watching some of the stuff that goes on. There was a supermoon here last night, the night before, um, seen some cool pictures. There's supposed to be a super blue moon, uh, uh this month, as well as just a supermoon. So if you, uh, are into astronomy, and want something lighter to do, as in uh, more cheerful than politics and the the continued collapse of our society. Yeah, take a moment, have some fun with the family or uh, friends or what have you. Pull out the telescope or just binoculars or something and just watch the sky. Look at the stars, check out the moon, get some cool pictures. Yeah. It's good advice, my friend. I hope it's not cloudy when that meteor shower starts. So, agreed. It has been a fascinating conversation, my friend. We will see you next week. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.